Well, if you have a Bible, why don't you go ahead and grab that? Maybe it's on a phone, maybe you brought your own, or maybe it's the one in the back of the pew. And go ahead and open up to Luke chapter 5. We find ourselves in Luke chapter 5 today, verse 16. I know only one verse. Uh, That seems unusual for me, but we're going to be in one verse today because there's a lot to unpack in that one verse. And I've used it before, but it happens to be one of my very favorite and one of the most transformative in my own life over the past year. And so I'm excited to speak on that this morning. But before we talk about that, I want you to take a moment, settle into yourself, and I want you to think for a second about some of your closest relationships. Whether that person is a spouse, or a best friend, a sibling, like a brother or a sister, maybe it's a cousin, some sort of family member, maybe not blood-related at all, maybe it's someone from childhood, somebody during your college years and experience, somebody from work. I don't know who it might be, but take a moment. I want you to think about that relationship for just a moment. And as you think about that relationship, I want you to go back to the very beginning of that relationship. And I want you to think about how did that relationship begin? What was your first experience with that person that you would now consider a very close friend? Very close. Maybe it was a little awkward in the beginning. Maybe you were... Maybe you met them at a party. Uh, Maybe you met them through a mutual friend that invited you both to lunch because you thought you would be really great friends, and then you sat there, and it was an awkward meal because you sat there in silence, and you didn't know what to talk about. Oh, if you didn't know, that was my experience. Um, Probably not the most communicative, communicative experience that you've ever had the first time you met this person. Probably maybe just full of a little bit of small talk. Not really going deeper, just kind of maybe surface level things. Maybe that's how it began for you. But then think about the in-between. How did it grow? What was required between you and that person for your relationship to grow? For you to eventually get to the place where you'd say, that's my closest friend. This is my closest relationship. I chose to get married to this person. What was required? What needed to happen to get from awkward first moment meeting to closest person in my life? How many hours did you spend talking to one another? I'm sure you couldn't even calculate the number. It's innumerable. The hours and hours and hours of conversation. Maybe for somebody younger, it's just a lot of texting going on. Just Constantly putting thumb to the keyboard and getting to know each other deeper. And it just 
begins to flourish. At some point, I do recommend you take that face-to-face. Digital isn't best. Uh, I really do believe that. But at some point, that hours of conversation, and maybe you can't pinpoint the moment, but it's just this moment, and you're like, yeah, that's my best friend. If it's a spouse, I mean, there is a moment, right? (laughs) There's a day, which if you're married, I hope you know the day, men. uh, Remember your anniversary. It's important. But you get connected to this person, and if it's just a relationship, you you can't maybe pinpoint the moment. There's not like a specific day. And really, in a marriage relationship, there's not a specific moment where you realize this is my best friend and I want to marry them. I mean, because a lot of that happens before engagement. A lot of that happens before you say your vows. And in friendships, it's kind of the same thing. There's not, this, there's not this one defined, clear moment where you're like, this is my best friend. This is my closest relationship. It's just over hours and hours of conversation, of spending time with one another, of doing things together, that there becomes a time where it's just transitioned to, this is somebody I do things with, to this is my person that the Lord has really given me to grow. And it's a great and wonderful thing when you have a friend like that in your life, when you have relationships like that in your life. And as you've gotten to that place where you're now best friends, close friends, close in relationship to one another, I want you to start thinking about how words actually become less a part of your relationship. You don't always need words to communicate. You don't need to say every little thing for the other person to understand. Silences are no longer awkward. They're actually good. Like you love sitting in silence together. A car ride could just be sitting there together. For spouses, just your hand on their hand. No words need to be said. It's just time together. And it's good. And you still use words. Words are still necessary, but they're not everything. Like it was in the beginning, when you're getting to know each other, and when you started to grow with one another, and then... When you became close, the words faded away some. Carlo Corretto says this, and this really does relate to relationships and close relationships because close relationships are founded in love, ultimately. But I love what Carlo Corretto says. He says, prayer is like love. Words pour out at first, And then we are more silent and can communicate in monosyllables. In difficulties, a gesture gesture is enough. A word or even nothing at all. Love is enough. Thus the time comes when words are superfluous. 
the soul converses with God with a single loving glance, although this may often be accompanied by dryness and suffering. What an interesting way to think about prayer. The same way that we can think about our relationships with other people in our lives. The way we encounter them at first and the way they grow and flourish. And then the day that we become so close that sometimes words aren't necessary. A glance, a gesture, a single word, a touch. Prayer is a beautiful thing with God. You see, we've been talking about rhythms. And we started this series by looking at how God's design for spiritual transformation is really rhythm. And it was established from the very beginning of creation. Creation came to be because of a certain rhythm of creation. God's created order, how Every day of creation, there was evening and there was morning, and God saw that it was good. Day two, it was evening and it was morning, and God saw that it was good. Day three, it was evening, it was morning, and God saw that it was good. Every day followed the rhythm of evening and morning and goodness. And then we talked about how at the very beginning we see the important role of Sabbath. On day seven, rest. Just rest. Rest for God, rest for Adam, rest for Eve. And then they worked on day eight. Well, it was Adam and Eve's day two. But they rested. And then we read in Exodus the importance of Sabbath. And how, you know, we love the Ten Commandments. But we tend to ignore Sabbathing. We're really Nine Commandment Christians. And then Sabbath just kind of is like the forgotten one. It's the redheaded stepchild that's just like, eh, you can, we'll talk to you every once in a while, but you're not the, you're not really the most important commandment. And I think we argued that it's maybe the most important. It's kind of the first one that we find at the very beginning of Scripture. And then God laid it as law so that they could follow it in truth and obedience. Because they needed a rhythm to their life. A rhythm of relationship with God. That they aren't what they produce because they aren't human doings, they were human beings. And that led us to conversation of fellowship. The importance of the body being the body together and making sure that we have regular rhythm of fellowship with one another. Because God didn't create us in a vacuum to be a man alone on an island. We also looked at Genesis for that and how when God did finally create man, he created them 
in his image. And when he created Adam, he's like, it's not good for man to be alone. And so we were made for relationship. We were made to fellowship with one another, to encourage one another. To do life together and discipleship. And we talked about the importance of how we gather together. We talked about Acts chapter 2 and how they came together and had all things in common and nobody had need for anything because they cared for their fellow believers. They fellowshiped all the time. They broke bread at each other's table. We talked about how we need to sit with one another at the table with one another and break bread with one another. We need to share in life's hardships with one another and in life's rejoicings with one another. It's all good and it all points us to God. Rhythms of fellowship point us back to God. And last week we talked about worship. Our call to worship the Lord. How the Lord established Israel coming out of slavery in Egypt through a worship service. And he offered them these feasts and these opportunities to set a rhythm for their lives when they came from a place with no rhythm of worship. And God wanted to establish a rhythm of worship for their lives. But for the most part, so far, we've talked about a lot of communal ways in which God transforms us. And we can't forget that. Because I think oftentimes we look at the church and we say, that's a great place to gather once a week. But I'm on my own the other six days. But I want us to, I wanted to start there because I wanted us to flip that over. Actually, the most important thing is our relationship to each other. And pushing each other, I I even quoted Hebrews earlier, to stir each other to love and good works. We're to stir one another up first and foremost. That is the rhythm of transformation that God has established in our lives is the sense that community is actually important. Community together, growing together, is important. And what we're really seeing in all of those, that when they're done well, when they're done right, they're rooted in Jesus. When you Sabbath well, you can only Sabbath rooted in Jesus. When you fellowship well, you can only fellowship well rooted in Jesus. When you worship well, you can only worship well rooted in Jesus. All those things happen with a root in Christ Jesus. Because he's the foundation on which all those things are established for us. So another way to say that rhythm is God's design, what we're really saying is that God's design for spiritual transformation is himself. 
sees his own design to spiritually transform you. But he puts rhythms of himself in your life so that you can be transformed. The rhythm of Sabbath is about relating to God. The rhythm of fellowship is about relating to God through others. The rhythm of worship is about relating to God through glorification for his worth with others. Which leads us to prayer. Because we've covered the together stuff. But what do I do on my own? What is the rhythm that God wants to put in my life for me? And how can others encourage me in my individual walk for a rhythm of spiritual transformation with God? And I really do believe that this all centers around prayer. Prayer is it. We can look at other things. You can say Bible study. You can say reading scripture. You can say singing songs and hymns on your own in your car, which I do sometimes. There are lots of ways in which you could say there is a rhythm built in for that, but I really believe that all really boils down to a rhythm of prayer. Prayer is this place where we individually connect with God and commune with God and relate to God. And so prayer can actually happen in the place of Sabbath fellowship and worship. And it should happen in those places. But when we're alone and we aren't connected to the body, prayer is the rhythm that God calls us to. And so let's read our passage this morning from Luke chapter 5, verse 16. I love this verse so much, y'all. But Jesus himself would often slip away to the desolate regions and pray. But Jesus himself would often slip away to the desolate regions and pray. So let's pray this morning. Good and gracious God, as we hear these words, this testimony that you have given of yourself in Scripture. God, would we hear it and would it resonate within our hearts? And would we embrace this rhythm of life that you have emulated to us? In the Gospel of Luke, would we then just pursue it in our own life, in our own walk with you? Would we grow and transform and be formed by this rhythm of prayer that you have demonstrated? Lord, lead us and guide us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So there's not much to break down in this scripture, but there is much in this single verse. You see, right before this, there are crowds pressing in on Jesus, waiting to be healed. People are coming from every region to hear him and for him to just pray for them and allow healing to come into their lives, to see sickness and disease leave their bodies. But as all these large crowds are gathering, 
Jesus disappears. Jesus disappears. Look, I'll be honest, this is every pastor's dream. To be in one place and everybody come to you. Where there's no work involved. Literally, you just kind of stand here. Oh, like I'm doing right now. And then y'all just show up. I don't have to do anything. It's great. But could you imagine if as you were showing up, I just slipped out that door right there and started just walking up 16 and got away from all of you. And then you're sitting here on a Sunday and you're like, where'd he go? Why isn't he present? Wasn't he supposed to deliver some message? Wasn't he supposed to be bring healing to our souls? To give us an encouraging message? To send us out and evangelize Griffin? That's exactly what Jesus did. Is all the people are gathering to hear him, he disappears and disappoints the crowds. But that's the context. But what is the text saying? It's not that Jesus did it in order to just disappoint people. It's not that Jesus did it for some shock and awe value. Let's be honest, I would do that for some shock and awe value. I would just be like, let's see how they respond if I just don't show up on a Sunday. And I didn't tell anybody. I would do it for shock and awe. I would be excited to just like look at the cameras later and be like, how did they respond? What did they do? Right? But Jesus' intention wasn't disappointment. Jesus' intention was on something completely different. Jesus' intention was on the Father. Jesus' intention was on God. To be with the Father in the place of prayer. And what I think is so significant about this is that it doesn't just say that he did it once. It says that he did it Often. This was a regular rhythm of Jesus' life and ministries that he would often slip away to the desolate places to pray. And it's not hard to flip through the Gospels and see all these moments where it says, and Jesus slipped away. And Jesus slipped away. And Jesus went to the mountain. And Jesus went to the vineyard. And Jesus went to the garden. And Jesus goes to pray. Every time he's just going alone to be with God. Jesus has created a rhythm for himself of prayer. And not just prayer, I want to also hone in on that. He went to desolate regions. He went to lonely places. He went to places without people. But I think more importantly, he went to places without distraction. You know what I really need to do for me to get to desolate places? I have to get rid of this thing. Do you know how hard it is to get away and to just put this in a place where it can't be reached? 
I mean, I shared with y'all at the beginning of service, next week, I'm out of town for a spiritual retreat. Do you think that this is staying in Griffin? No. Would I like it to? Yes. But can I? Realistically, no. But I hope and pray that I have the strength to intentionally this next week to have times where this thing sits in the bedroom and doesn't follow me to the other places. That it doesn't follow me to the classes that I sit in because I'll be honest, there's been three so far and it's always been with me in every class and some reason, for some reason, every time something comes up at the church and I'm like, in the middle of class. I'm like, what am I doing? I'm, I'm supposed to be here connecting with God and connecting with the, these, these other people that are on this journey with me so that we can fellowship with one another and worship God together and so that we can grow with one another, that we can pray with each other, that we can experience Sabbath rest. And I take my phone, which doesn't allow me to be in desolate regions. So I don't know what that is for you, but rhythms of prayer require you to remove yourself from the things that will take your attention away from God. I think that's probably the number one reason why a rhythm of prayer is so difficult for us. We live with the greatest distraction in our pockets. And maybe for some of you, a phone isn't a distraction. I'll give you that. For people my age, our phones are massive distractions. Massive distractions. So what is your distraction? What is keeping you from getting to desolate places? Maybe you're a workaholic and you take work with you wherever you go. You're always thinking about work. You're always thinking about the next project, the other thing that has to get done. That prevents you from going to desolate places. And I'm not saying that you're not going to face distraction when you go to those regions, to those places in your life. Because it's really hard when you take your brain with you. You can't, like, detach your brain, right? Like, that goes with you. But what are you doing in order to mitigate those distractions for when you go to desolate regions? And maybe, maybe... I read in this book once, uh, Spiritual Disciplines by Whitney. Actually, I think I quoted him last week or two weeks ago. But when he, he says this one thing, he says, in times of prayer, and this isn't a direct quote, I'm paraphrasing, but in times of prayer, don't try to always just push the distraction away, but maybe let it come into focus because maybe God wants to deal with it. Maybe you find yourself in your desolate place and then a distraction in your mind pops up and instead of just trying to push that distraction down, 
maybe let it come to the surface and say, God, this keeps coming up every time I pray to you. Let's deal with this right now. Why do I get so distracted by X whenever I want to pray? And then listen. Maybe he reveals something to you about, well, you have a really unhealthy relationship with work. You have a really unhealthy relationship with, I don't know, alcohol. You have a really unhealthy relationship with tobacco. You have a really unhealthy relationship with whatever it might be coming into your life and distracting you from that place of prayer that you are trying so much to get into that place. But what else makes this so difficult? Especially to experience prayer, a rhythm of prayer like Jesus. Where he was so intent of going to that place that he was willing to leave everything else behind. Ruth Haley Barton says, instinctively we know that intimacy requires something of us. One of the most consistent metaphors in Scripture for God's relationship with us is God as an intimate lover, a jealous lover even. I think one of the things that makes going to God in real prayer so difficult is this word intimacy. That's a weird word for Presbyterians to think about sometimes. You want me to be what with God? I reserve that for my wife or for my husband. Intimacy is not for God. And yet, Scripture is rife with imagery of our relationship with God as an intimate one. And intimacy requires vulnerability. I love Brene Brown's definition of vulnerability. She says that vulnerability is the willingness to risk emotional exposure. The willingness to risk emotional exposure. And Presbyterians don't do well with emotion. We kind of think that's like new age and intellectual thought is like what the Lord has called us to. But not to touch our emotions. But to be in a relationship with somebody means that there's a level of vulnerability that you have to get to. But to be in an intimate relationship with somebody, you have to risk every bit of emotional exposure. You have to be willing to say, God, I'm going to, I'm just going to lay it all out there. I'm going to show you my anger. I'm going to show you my sadness. I'm going to show you my hurt. I'm going to show you my disgust. I'm going to show you my anxiety. I'm going to put it all on the table because, God, you know what? That's what you've called me to. That's what it means to be intimate with you. That's what it means to step into that place. Is to risk 
being vulnerable with you and allowing you to speak into those spaces, do you not think that Jesus got exhausted? Constantly healing people all the time, constantly preaching a message? Why do you think he had to go to prayer so much? Why do you think he had a rhythm of prayer in his life to deal with everything? Don't believe me? Turn to the Garden of Gethsemane before Jesus was betrayed. And he took himself to the Father and he said, Lord, if it is your will, let this cup pass from me. And he was so anxious, he was sweating blood. Jesus risked emotional exposure because he experienced human things and he needed to be intimate with God in order to grow. He needed it. He needed a rhythm of being with the Father to experience all that the Father offered. So how do we do this? Where are we on time? Oh. The Lord's Prayer is a great example. And that's the key, too. I want, I want to say this. It's an example to us. It's not the only way that we can pray. But he says, and when you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the streets so that they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their fill. But when you pray, go to your inner room, and when you've shut your door, pray to your Father who is in secret. So desolate places. So part of Jesus' model for prayer in the Lord's Prayer is go to a desolate place. Get alone. Be with God. And only God. And then when you pray, don't be meaningless in your words. Be purposeful. Pray to your Father, His holy name, that the kingdom He has would be a part of this earth, that He would provide your daily bread. Yeah, that might mean your physical sustenance, but bread was abundant back then. I think He meant so much more. That is, He wants to meet every need in your life. Pray your needs. Go to him with what you're feeling, your emotions, the fullness of who you are. Ask him for forgiveness, but forgive others in your life. And pray that he would deliver you from the evil one and all his temptations. And that he would be glorified in you and through you and around you to the world. Pray like that. Pray those words in that manner. But I love what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17. And this is what I'm calling all of us to do. Pray without ceasing. Oh, I know, it's hard. What does that mean? Pray without ceasing? Every moment of my day is supposed to be filled with prayer? Well, yes. And no, because if you remember that prayer is communing with God, 
and we remember that when you're in intimate relationships with others, words aren't always necessary, then praying without ceasing doesn't mean you use words 100% of the time. It means acknowledging the presence of God in your everyday life, moment to moment, that he's with you, he's beside you. Jesus calls himself your friend. He loves you. Commune with him. Be with him. Bring him to work. Bring him to soccer practice. Bring him to the game. Bring him to church. I know, there are some of you that don't bring Jesus to church. I get it. You came to church to get Jesus, not to bring him. Been there, done that. Bring Jesus to church with you? And why is that so important? When I say bring him to church with you? Let's bring this full circle Back to fellowship and worship, Sabbath together. Ephesians 6, 18, praying at all times. So praying, praying without ceasing. Praying at all times with all prayer and petition in the Spirit. And to this end, being on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Praying for all the saints. So there's full circle. Every bit of it relates to one another. Sabbath, fellowship, worship, prayer. Fellowship encourages worship. Worship encourages your own time of prayer. And prayer encourages fellowship. And we experience these the most when we choose to Sabbath well and say, Sunday is for God. Saturday is a day of rest, or Sunday. Sunday is a day to give to the Lord. To give to one another. To give myself over to God and to be with the saints, worshiping with the saints, and throughout the rest of the week, experiencing them here and there and praying for them all along the way. Communing with God that I might be in more intimate relationship with him, getting to know him more and more, building my relationship. Yeah, it was awkward at first. Yeah, I feel weird when I go to a desolate place. I'm like, hey, Jesus, I don't know what I'm doing. Are you even there? Okay, this is weird. Why am I speaking to myself? And then as you keep doing it and engaging it, you get a little bit better at it, and then eventually you learn to actually hear the voice of God in that time of prayer, and you realize, oh, it's not just me speaking. God is speaking back. He has things to say. There's a rhythm to the life that God has called me to, and all along the way, it's getting me closer and closer and closer to Him. And as I get closer to Him, I bear more and more and more the image of Jesus in my life. What a good thing that is for the church, to bear the image of Jesus. Let's pray.
good and gracious God, you are calling us to a rhythm in our lives, a rhythm of spiritual formation and transformation. Lead us and guide us as only you can. Allow your Holy Spirit to come and convict us of the things that we need to know and the things that we need to do. Not because doing makes us more righteous, because doing gets us to know you. It gets us to follow you, acknowledge you, walk with you. Lord, that's all we want. We want to walk with you and be transformed more into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. And so lead us all into all prayer, God, we pray. Amen.